Welcome to another episode of No Challenges Remaining, the first episode of No Challenges Remaining in the year 2014. Happy New Year, listeners. That was me doing a party favor. Oh, yeah, one of those little things with the paper thing that goes in curls. Yeah. Courtney Nguyen is here on sound effects, and I am the other host, Ben Rothenberg, who will be trying to keep it to normal human sounds as much as I usually do, which isn't that big a percentage of the time. How you doing, Courtney? Happy New Year. And a happy New Year to you as well, Ben. Yeah, I'm doing fantastic. Feel recharged, refreshed, and ready to take another lap around this track we call life? Oh, oh hell no. No, I'm exhausted. <laughs> ben and I are recording this in Melbourne. Mm-hmm. So we both got here. I flew in uh, this morning. So I'm a little exhausted from the red-eye flight from Kuala Lumpur, but I can't complain. The weather is lovely, especially given the news from back home that like half the country is like freezing, which is, I mean, I'm a California kid, so I don't really understand cold weather. I freak out when it's like 50 degrees, but yeah, I can't complain. We walked home and I'm like super sweaty and gross right now. But in a good way. (laughs) In a good way, in a refreshing burn off the dumplings kind of way. I feel like people should be always jealous of you when you're like, oh, it's so warm and it's January. This is true. That's part of why we come here, I think, to Australia, is just to make people jealous back home. And our union jealousy means the world to us. I live my life to make other people jealous. That's pretty much my MO. That's how I make decisions. (laughs) When there's two paths in front of me, I think, hmm, which which decision would people be more envious of? This is absolutely not how I make my decisions. I just want to make that clear because sometimes, apparently, my sarcasm doesn't come across in both written and spoken form. Is that so? So apparently, I need to add a caveat. You sometimes get Twitter replies from people. People got really mad at me for a crack that I made about Andy Murray. Did you hear about this? I did hear about that. Why don't you tell it for the listeners who might have been offline enjoying Christmas ham. Yeah, no, I was enjoying Ask Andy, his little Twitter Q&A. Which was really good. Which was phenomenal. And I think that most people pretty much know that I like Andy Murray. I think that he's a good dude. I think that he's, I like watching him play tennis probably more than many other people do. Yes. <laughs> so in the context of all this and him having a particularly entertaining Twitter Q&A, I sent out a tweet to the effect of, gosh, the only thing that would make this Twitter Q&A even better is if Andy Murray had a freaking personality. And oh my God, all of Britain got mad at me. All of them. All of them. All seven of them got really pissed. Really? It was like the American Revolution. It's like I threw tea <laughs> into the Boston Harbor and like King George was like, Wah! and sent the redcoats over. That's what it was like. I felt oppressed. That sounds completely historically accurate. Yeah. I would agree with that. Andy Murray, while we were gone, did win British Sports Personality of the Year, which for Americans, imagine an ESPY that takes itself really seriously. <laughs> I don't get it. I just don't. Do you? No, but I'm not British, so I, it seems to me that the BBC Spotty, which I think is a really horrible acronym, not FYI, great. it's not, not great. great. No. You're spotty? Also, doesn't that mean pimpled in British? Oh, maybe. Chicken pox. Well, then people have pimples. They say they have spots, which is weird. Like, I don't think that people have spots. I but think Dalmatians have spots. I think Dalmatians have spots, yeah. but I've heard Brits say, oh, I'm getting spots or something like that. And no. I, I get really confused. But yeah, I think that culturally it seems to be a really, really big deal. So they take it seriously. But I also kind of feel like the BBC, because of its role as basically state-run media that ever that is like the you know, news of record kind of conversation tone setter, all yeah. that. They say it's important, so it must be important. So I think there's a little bit of like Ouroboros going on there. <laughs> That's probably fair. Probably fair. So, but so congrats, Andy Murray. Congrats, Andy Murray. Your personality is amazing. It is incredible. It blows everybody away, and I can't believe anybody would think you don't have people, personality. People are all nervous no that, snark. He, that he wouldn't win, and he got like 61% of the vote, and second place was like, I don't even know who, he got 9% or something. What was he? Number two guy. At least it a wasn't cricketer? A, at least it wasn't a track cyclist. Rugby? That's all I have to say. I know. We don't need to and, we don't need to tell people. We don't need For those for of you who rage. want my feelings on indoor cycling, which is a sport in Britain where they ride around in circles <laughs> indoors, because that's a thing people should do, right? Go back to find like episodes from August twenty twelve. I'm sure I'm sure the rage is bottled up somewhere for posterity. But on this show we're gonna talk about things that have happened so far in 2014 season, namely the first week of the season, namely Brisbane, where I was, and other things in other tournaments as well. Stuff was happening at Auckland as well, and 
the men were doing things and losing and not losing, as tennis players tend to do. People were withdrawing and injured and limpy. Yeah. Where do you want to start? Where do you think it makes sense to start the year? You know what? Let's start the year at Hopman Cup. Okay. Why not? Hopman Cup was pretty underwhelming. It was a bit underwhelming, which was unfortunate, even though the best match that I have seen since, like, in the last, like, two weeks was Alize Cornet versus Agnieszka Radwanska at Hopman Cup. I missed it, but which it was, was good. Phenomenal. Like, the first set was, like, whatever. It was, you know, Aga was being Aga. But the end of the second set and through the third set, once Cornet started turning on the drams and, like, got all limpy and teary, she started hyperventilating on court. That's awesome. She started crying on court. That's awesome. She got a time... James Kionthavon gave her a time violation during her hyperventilation. (laughs) That's amazing. He was like, are you okay? And she's like, yeah. And he's like, time violation. (laughs) He's like, Cornet. (laughs) It was incredible. It was so, so entertaining. And it was, like, the best match that I saw. So... You know, Good that was them. great. But uh, on the whole, it was really... Not a great field, not a lot of star power, not a lot of fans. The attendance there was not good. It was the worst I've ever seen in Hotman. Because when I was there, just two years ago, I guess they had Wozniacki and Kvitova were the two big stars. And none of the top four guys, but they had those two. Did they and have Djokovic and Anna? No, they did okay. not that year. But they had... Marie Laura? Nope. They didn't okay. have any big four guys. They had Gasquet was there, Burditch was there, um, Leighton Hewitt was there. So they had names that were recognizable to Aussie fans for sure but in the fans stands were always full not the case right now and so it's one of the things we were worried about back when Tennis Australia took over the tournament is that maybe they wouldn't spend the money to get pl- big time players to Hopman consistently and you're not always going to get a top four guy I mean Federer hasn't played the tournament in nearly 10 years I think uh, probably over that actually Rafa's never played Hopman Djokovic only plays it when one of the other two girls signs up and it wasn't clear that either were doing that because Anna was getting money for the Miss Auckland pageant they were throwing down there. Boo. So Hotman, Hotman was underwhelming. I mean, and then Yanovitz pulled that, which was not good for Buzz, even though good. his replacement guy, Greg, Greg Gregor's pan Phil, uh, did, his hair was did so really funny. well. And, yeah. he lost, and by the way, he already lost an Australian Open qualifying first round. So that he was, was in qualifying? I thought that he, he got, didn't get into qualifying. He got in as a lucky, as an alternate, oh. when uh, David Goffin withdrew. Oh, that's right. That's right. So he got in and lost in three sets to someone named Giustino. Fair enough. Yeah, it's it's unfortunate with Hotman Cup. I think that a lot of, like, I don't know, maybe I'm totally speaking, maybe I shouldn't be representing, like, tennis fandom when I say this, but I feel like it is this weird competition that we hold very near and dear to our hearts as, like, a fun, it's lighthearted such, it's such way a to kick, nerd event. Yeah, the kick off the season with these hilarious, like, couplings. Boy-girl pairings. Boy-girl pairings and all that. And when I went, the only time I went to Hoffman Cup was in 2011, but it, Andy and Laura were there. But it's it's a fun event, so it's just kind of a bummer. And for to just to explain, to the extent that people don't understand what the concern is with respect to Tennis Australia taking over the tournament, is because Tennis Australia also runs Brisbane, also runs... You know, Sydney. Sydney as well. And Hobart. Oh, that's right. Yeah, but the biggest issue, really, I think, in the, is it's Brisbane. And that, you know, they would rather have Brisbane, the players, the top players, be going to Brisbane than choosing Hopman Cup. And so there is kind of internally, you know, a tension there and a conflict of interest in a lot of ways if you don't want to promote both tournaments equally. Brisbane is a tournament that really seems to be bursting at the seams when you're there. The main stadium, I think, only seats 5,500 people, which is not a lot for the field they had for a tournament that has Federer, Serena, Sharapova, Azarenka. That's not a lot of people. It was really almost entirely 100% full every single session for every single ball. And the outer courts were full, too. I guess they had grounds passes. And the outer courts were cool because they had these, like, sort of roofs over them, these, like, tent-type things, which apparently, like, sails. And in Australia, because apparently they have these multiple places, a lot of places, because they're a country that's afraid of sun, with good reason... And I tweeted about it being like a, a roof or a tent or something. Someone's like, oh, it's a sail. Okay. Yeah, so the players have those and the stands are always full. And it could just seems like it could be much bigger. And it's in a really nice spot in the calendar where it can be a 250 and be a premiere, which is like a tier three, really. A joint. In the old days, a joint. And spend its money on appearance fees and not really on prize money. It's just, it's in a good position right there. And players want to play that week. No one wants to play the second week of the year anymore. Right before the Australian Open, you see that what's happened in Sydney 
as we record this, there is about to be a Kerber Peronkova final in Sydney, which, good for those girls, but that's not what the tournament directors want. Right. You don't want a Kerber Peronkova final. I mean, that tournament, that tournament has struggled with, with attendance all week. You know, um, some say that's weather-related because it's been cool in Sydney. But, you know, even with a field that included a Kvitova, that, you know, and uh, a Redvanska, Wozniacki early. It's, um, it's, a, it's Kvitova, Wozniacki, and Redvanska, the players who right now are getting people to haul their cookies out to suburban no, Sydney. No, they're not ticket sellers. No. Woz, maybe. Woz, people maybe. Like but, Woz, but people like Woz. Woz is a, it's a draw, but I do think... That the location of the tournament also, and just yeah, this oh rowing it's, it's thing from the men, no men, no top men really, except for Del Potro, um, who I'm sure it's doing it for the money. Sorry, Del Po. Play the week before a slam anymore. It just doesn't happen. And well, so, he would rather train, continue training in Argentina and come late. And do the shirtless videos some more. Well, I mean, just like train in Argentina, come late instead of coming early and playing Brisbane and then just futzing around for yeah. a week. I think that seems to be what his MO is, because he's never... I, I mean, I have to go back to see when the last time was that he came to Australia two weeks early. Yeah, that's probably, probably you know, right. It's the same thing as like Novak, how Novak prefers to do the EXO. He never, now, nowadays, he never plays an actual tournament yeah. before. Um, he just wants guaranteed match play, which is smart, yeah. I think. Brisbane results-wise was really exciting people who were there. I mean, getting a match, almost like too good, getting a mm-hmm. match with Serena Sharapova and Serena Azarenka first week of the year, that's a lot. And then Federer Hewitt was obviously a dream final for promoters. The two biggest men's names they had, their two slam winners, it, it all worked out really well. I mean, what did you take away from Brisbane? I mean, staying away from kind of the nuts and bolts of kind of the exact matches and stuff, but what were your takeaways? And, and, and do you read a lot into lead-up event results. Let's talk about Federer first, just because it's the last one I named. Federer, I think it was a good reminder for Federer fans and observers and whoever else watches Federer, because everyone in tennis always pays attention to what Federer's doing, like it or not. He's still still a very relevant person in the tennis landscape. It was a reminder, again, that Federer can play really good tennis and look really sharp, beat Matosovic 6-1, 6-1 in the quarters, and it's a reminder that he can, out of nowhere, have a terrible crap day, even midway through a tournament against Hewitt. That first set was horrible. He had 22 or 23 unforced errors in a set he lost 6-1. I mean, that's an average of, like, over three a game. And he was not doing anything well at all. And he got back into the match a little bit. I thought Hewitt, to his credit, because Hewitt, I've called out before for being a bit of a choker in his recent incarnation, Hewitt was, did a pretty good job of staying level and playing that third set well. And really carpe dming in his home country, much to the delight of a few of the fans, because really that crowd was mostly for Roger, for sure, by the third set. Yeah, no, it was a reminder that Federer can beat anybody, and he can also crash out to anybody, and that's just a factor of age, and it's a factor of life on the tour. I yeah, think. I mean, that's what makes him kind of an unreliable pick in yeah. any given tournament. And before people kind of, you know, the, the most obvious rejoinder is, well, but he was playing Hewitt, and Hewitt's a great champion, and blah, 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 all that sort of stuff. He also needed three sets to beat Jeremy Chardy in the semis. Yeah. So it's not like he like rolled through and then played one bad match or anything. Not to say that, like, I mean, all due respect, Jeremy Chardy, very good tennis player, yada, yada. And he played much better against Chardy than he did against you. Yeah, but he still needed three. Yeah, you know? that's true. I mean, so, you know, I think that it, for me, coming out of Brisbane, I think, you know, especially because I watched the first few rounds that Federer played, and he looked incredible. I mean, the forehand was firing the quick courts in Brisbane, which is a big conversation topic going into the Australian Open, is is the speed of the courts and whether yeah. or not they are actually playing fast in Melbourne compared to what we saw in Brisbane, which everybody was kind of remarking. We were shocked. It was really fast there. And you could tell even just statistical measures, there were a lot of men's matches with very, very few break points. People were holding with relative ease, and it was just fast. And yeah. Federer was loving it. And players like Chardy, who's a very big fast court mm-hmm. player, big power player, he would obviously love fast courts. These players were thriving there. And from what we can tell so far in Melbourne, that is not quite the case. It yeah. might be a little bit faster than previous years, but Brisbane was a whole different level of fast. Yeah, I don't know if you've been getting these, but I've been getting a lot of questions on Twitter about the speed of the courts in Melbourne, mm-hmm. and I haven't really responded because I'm kind of like, it doesn't matter what I think, it matters what the player thinks. Yeah. And so until we talk to them, you know, we're not going to really get a sense. But, uh, you know, we'll see. Uh, you know, they have a new ball that they're using, but, but uh, generally what we're hearing is that it's not that much faster. Not that different. It's not that different than yeah. it was last year. So, you know, so we'll see uh, on that end. But, yeah, I mean, it was tough. I mean, I think that beginning of the week in Brisbane, I thought, I was really thinking, you know what, I think maybe Federer really has 
kind of turn the page and new racket and he's healthy and all these sorts of things. And then he put in those two matches against Shardy and Hewitt. And I was like, you know what? Same year. I mean, same Federer, different year. I think we talked about it end of last year, though. I think in a lot of ways, Australia might be slam. He has one of the best, better chances to make a move at because he should be well-rested now to the extent the back is still at all a question mark for him, even in a very small font question mark. It's going to be at least, should be the least problem here where the weather is consistently warm, pretty much, and he's well-rested. Yeah. And this could be the place to make his move. I'm sure he would have loved fast courts here. Because with the fast courts, he can really go toe-toe with anybody. And that mm-hmm. includes, like, an old-school, traditional, circa 2003 fast court. He can be almost level favorites of Rafa, if not even a little bit ahead. Even current 2014 Federer makes that big a difference for him. And it doesn't look like he's going to get it. But we'll see. We'll see what his draw does and what he does. Because, like I said, it's just not reliable day in, day out. And it reminds me a little bit, to segue to someone else, of Venus... Who, we've, who I think she and Federer, even the Federer's obviously way ahead of her in the rankings right now and has won slams much more recently than Venus. They both have that same sort of day in, day out. Don't know entirely what to expect, but Venus made a WTA final in Auckland, which was pretty good for her, and losing to Ana Ivanovic. And we'll get back to the women in Brisbane later. But, Courtney, for the, while it's on my mind, what do you make of the Ivanovic-Venus-Auckland run? And is it just... Big fish in a small pond, or does it mean something? I think the important thing is that it means something to Anna. Yeah. So objectively, you know, you have that whole kind of objective, subjective thing. So objectively, winning Auckland, you know, beating Venus, who, you know, isn't exactly the Venus of old. No. Um, char- kind of charging through the draw, beating a Flipkins who, you know, really hasn't been much of anything since, since Wimbledon. Right. You know, I mean, is there a lot to take away in terms of her play? Probably not, but it means something to her. And I think that in, you know, there have been all these jokes, obviously, and, and much deserved jokes about her constant cracks, her constant comment of it's a process after every loss. It's a process. It's a process. It's a process. And maybe it is. And I think one of the most encouraging things I really get the sense of from Anna within the last six months is with the coaching chains having having moved from Nigel to her new coaching team, which is like not a designer team. No. This is not a team that like, uh, could I pick her coach? If I walked past her coach in the hallway, would I have realized that it's Anna Ivanovich's coach if he wasn't standing next to Anna Ivanovich? Not yet. But this team seems to have really grounded her relaxed her. I've noticed this ever since, you know, uh, yeah, like the like US Open even. Just she's been a different Anna. And and I think that that kind of positivity and maybe taking that pressure off, maybe be, you know, maybe working with people who are Serbian helps her. Maybe it, it, it does add this comfort level for her. Whatever it is, something's yeah. working for her. No, for, for sure. Her. I think when you're working with someone like a past coach, like let's say Sven Grunfeld, who she worked with in the past, and Sven Grunfeld has been a previous coach for slam winners, Monica Sellis, whatever else, you feel a level to, you feel a pressure to live up to his expectations, his bar. But if you hire some relatively no-name Serbian person, they're excited to be with you. And the bar is really, they're not going to be disappointed by, or they shouldn't, in fair, and if they're being rational, be disappointed by you staying roughly where she is, which is like a number 13, 12 to 13 player right now. And we'll see. I Do I think she's a relevant factor in terms of the business end of slams? Not yet. Yeah. Not without a very, very nice draw that also crumbles for her a little bit. She can she can definitely make her way through rubble at a slam draw. I see that. I don't see her paving her own way. She still hasn't beaten a top four player in a slam, or a top ten player even in a slam, I think, in forever. Yeah. So it'll be tough to see, and it'll, it'll be interesting to see what, if anything, she makes of Melbourne and what her, her jaw is. Venus, Venus is a... I think at this point a dangerous floater. She's a dangerous Once floater again. for sure. She's a spoiler. She's a name to watch in the draw. For She's sure. a name to watch in the first three rounds. So I think that she'd get past the fourth round. I don't know. It depends on the draw. Right. But if she's healthy, and I said this last year around this time, if Venus is healthy, I think that she's still a top fifteen player oh, easily, I agree. if not top ten. But it's the that's question what I of noticed health. in Auckland. It was like she and Ivanovich were right about level. Yeah, exactly. It was right. very very even match. Top fifteen. Top fifteen. So she's like, if she's when at her best, she's a solid top fifteen player, and she has matchups that will work for her. If she gets like an Irani, she could easily make a quarterfinal if she takes Irani's path because she kind of owns Irani recently. She could also do well. Against obviously like a Vinci, a similar type player, mm-hmm. can start naming a it. Big, like, I mean, a big hitter that goes off the rails. Yeah. A Kvitova. Kvitova? Sure, she could they, definitely be Kvitova. She took, it was a three setter in uh, Tokyo. Yeah. And you she know? also beat as a, kind of off her game as yeah, ranked. Yeah, I wouldn't that count tournament. that. I wouldn't read too, too much, much into but, that. Um, 
She beat Halep. Yeah. You know, so she has these, she has the capabilities. So, you know, I like her as a dangerous floater. I think she's, I mean, if we even just talk about that really briefly, like dangerous floaters on the women's side, really quickly, Venus, I think, is one. I think Madison is one. Yeah. Um, I think she gets the right matchup in the first couple of rounds. She could definitely make a third round here, which would be great for her. Oh, if not better. If I mean, not better, I know, but I'm saying, yeah. Keep it in control. Exactly. Um, those are kind of the two big names that, that to me, like unseated you know, they, they could really kind of spoil that. Talk. And we'll see a little bit what Parankova does in Sydney. I think I think she's at least a name to keep an eye on in the draw here. I think here. Melbourne's too slow. We'll see. We'll see. But if Melbourne, if, every, if what everybody's saying is that it's playing this, the same, if not only marginally quicker than it was last year, yeah. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. On to Brisbane now and the results there. What do you make of Serena opening the year against with wins in straight sets over Sharapova and Azarenka? Is it just business as usual, or do you see anything new or different in those score lines that's worthwhile? She wasn't at her best. No. Um, in any way, shape, or form. She didn't especially need to against be, Azarenka. Especially against Azarenka. Well, I mean, Serena, I mean, against Sharapova was not that great either. Wasn't that great, but I think the she was better. Was I think she was better against Maria than she was against yeah, Vika. Possibly. I think Sharapova played better than Vika in their yeah, matches. I think that's, I was, right. that's one of the things I'll say, just to get off Serena for a second. I think I was impressed by Sharapova. There was obviously that she had a lot of eyes on her in Brisbane in terms of how the shoulder would be, how the serve would be, how everything would be, and she looked fit and ready to go. Serve was fine. Um, wasn't at her all-time best, but it wasn't woeful. 2009 yeah. serving either, so. I think the most important complain. thing that, yeah, I mean, Sharapova was kind of, in a way, a bit of the story for me in Brisbane, and I think the biggest thing that I noticed was that when she was playing Serena, she didn't look distracted, which means the shoulder's fine. Yeah. That not just is it fine and pain free, but she's not concerned about it. She's there's no lingering doubt there, and she she can play with her full conviction. Now, is that good enough to beat a Vika or a Serena or Lina, like whatever? Maybe, maybe not. Don't know. Dep- depends on kind of you know she hasn't really been training for a super long time, but at least she's on the right track, and I think that she's more, she's more far along than I thought she would be at this point. I would agree. With coming that. off of the shoulder, I agree. With that. I think she should be very satisfied with her weekend. She actually was. After she lost to Serena, and and there's an element of there which we talked about with her. It's like, yeah, you lose 14 times in a row. You just kind of have found 14 different ways not to win and <laughs> whatever. I mean, not that she was defeatist about it or saying she's never going to happen, but she's also not beating herself up over losing to Serena at this point on a, you know, short-term basis, which is smart because that's just self-preservation. Don't, you know, you're pretty good at tennis, Maria, just because this one lady has your number. It's okay. Yeah, that, I think that that perspective is, yeah, I think that she's getting there. I feel like she's kind of starting to see it that way, which may be the Andy Murray kind of like, maybe I just will never beat her in the rest of my career. And that's okay. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think that there is that freedom. It's very Stuart Smiley and, and nice is. and all that kind of stuff. I think that... Are you calling Grigor Dimitrov Stuart Smiley? The Stuart Smiley? I was about to bring up the other thing about that match, which I, I really, it was such a big deal at the time, because that was the <laughs> first time Marie and Serena had played each other since... Wimbledon, where all the things happen late in the second set, somebody shouted out, Winner takes Grigor! And it was <laughs> hilarious. Did you not hear that? <laughs> no! I tweeted that. It got retweeted like a hundred times. That's you didn't incredible. see that? No. Oh, yeah. Someone shouted out, Winner takes. But they, it, that's not always said, actually. They said, Winner takes. This is how it was said. It was, Winner takes Grigor. Oh, so Australia. They kind of butchered it, but I still understood it. I like burst out laughing. That was it was amazing. It was funny. That's it was incredible. really funny. But like the crowd didn't laugh because I think they were all like, What was that word we just heard? Yeah. We don't know that word. Anyway, so that was fun. The handshake was okay. Yeah. It could have been worse. It could have been worse. The press, they weren't taking too many shots at each other. Serena was very much above it. Maria was like, I've said my piece, you know. I feel like my stand by my statements in the article, which we haven't talked about because it came out after our last show. The Chris Clary in the New York Times article. Times article. Which I don't think was definitely not as clean a shot as she got off at Wimbledon. Wimbledon was like a real sniper right to whatever the target is heart head whatever you want to say this one was a little bit more uh muddled muddled grazing shot but yeah. I, I think that it's uh doesn't need to be shooting through in a console it's not <laughs> not necessarily fair yeah so we'll see it uh, should be interesting to see how it plays out definitely will be plenty of room for more drama if they meet on a slam stage in australia and i do think that this match showed that maria is at least the gap is not re-widening right recently I mean, the, the last match before this one was the French Open, which I think was their best match since the 05 far, Australian Open final. By far. I would say even better than that Charleston one where she took yeah. a set, whatever, that didn't really matter. 
this one was... The famous Mike Joyce match. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so this, things, are getting, things are not getting worse for her. Yeah. And that's what matters. Other things first week of the year tournaments we haven't mentioned include Doha. Doha, Rafael Nadal won, beating Ernest Gulbis, and then beating Gael Monfils in the finals. I think this tournament told us nothing, except for that Thomas Burdich is not super reliable, and neither is David Ferrer in this year. And that Andy Murray is a little undercooked. That was the next thing. That was the main takeaway. It was not about Rafa beating a bunch of unseated players and Gulbis. I saw Gulbis, by the way, today. He was out watching qualies. He was watching Thomas Bellucci and Martin Fisher, and it went to six all in the third. Got really exciting, and he left. Anyway, that's your Ernest Gulbis report for today. <laughs> yeah, Rafa winning, I don't think we think means much. means he's not suddenly way regressed, although he had some kind of scratchy matches, he I did. think. He dropped a set to that uh, German guy. Gavojcik. And yeah. he also, the other thing actually maybe which matters most to his fans is that he beat Lucas Russell there. Yeah. But Russell was not. And that just shows that, yeah, what Lucas Russell did that one day was incredible. And should lightning be in a bottle. A complete lightning in a bottle. One shining moment, whatever you want to call mm -hmm. it. Big for him. Murray. Murray plays some Qatari wildcard who really does not belong on the ATP Tour. First round wins 6-0, 6-0. In 38 minutes. In 38 minutes. Jesus. Second round, he plays Florian Meyer, wins the first set. Who's a then, tricky opponent if you're not, who's a, who's not dialed in. a comfortable opponent for sure. Wins the first set, loses the next two. He's out. That's the end of Murray's tournament prep for Australia. Those are his only matches going in before the U.S. Open. Did Sorry, really before Kuyong? the Australian Open. He will play Kuyong tomorrow, okay. as of when we record this. He's going to play Hewitt there, which is actually kind of interesting. Courtney, what do you make of what this bodes for Murray's Australian Open? And is it fair to have any expectations for him whatsoever? I don't think it's fair. Granted, he's, what, a three-time finalist? Yep. The Aussie, obviously a defending finalist. Uh, Three of the last four years. You know, if not for that damn feather um, <laughs> that keeps him up at the night. The feather meant nothing. It, the feather meant nothing. But yeah, no, I mean, I, I think that it's not fair to, to expect much from him. The guy had back surgery three months ago, you know, and... You know, really, it's just going to, it takes a while for him to kind of click into gear. I think that against Meyer, it just wasn't all there. And a lot of it's not even just a physical issue. Physically, he might be fine. But mentally, he was up a set and three love yeah. in that match against Meyer and like let it go. And it's the mental aspect of being able to kind of get back into competing. And one thing that we have to take into consideration, separate and apart from the fact that he had back surgery, is that he really hasn't had to really compete yep. since win winning Wimbledon. I mean, let's be honest. Like, you know, him losing to, to Burdick at the... At, or, sorry, Wawrinka at the U.S. Open, Burdick at Cincinnati. Yeah. Um, like, okay. That's, it. That's our only sample for him. And then and Davis we, Cup against some, you know... Scrub Croatians. Yeah, from Croatia. So he's really kind of been able to coast a little bit. So not been able to, like, it's a luxury. But I think that he just kind of... It took him a while to kind of get over the Wimbledon thing. So it's I don't think he's over the Wimbledon thing. And no. I think that we talked about this after Wimbledon, and he's talked about it on Twitter a little bit. Interesting, he's engaged with some fans about this topic. And I think he also in an interview with Neil Harmon recently, which I have not read. Um, paywall. <laughs> paywall. Sorry, Neil. Them's the facts. <laughs> the I don't fact. have a pound for every article. I just don't even know what that currency means. <laughs> Andy Murray having the same motivation again. I almost think, like we said, if he retires... Tomorrow, he's an instant Hall of Famer, instant British knight, probably prime minister someday. Uh, why not? Or king of Scotland or whatever the new political designations will be in 10 years. Forrest Whitaker? Yeah, exactly. Okay. I think Forrest Whitaker, yeah. Forrest Whitaker will be redubbed the second to last king of Scotland, and then it'll be but Andy Forrest Whitaker will play him in the king of Scotland too, Ima the actual king of Scotland. Imagine if there was a movie adaptation of Andy Murray winning Wimbledon, and he was played by Forrest Whitaker. <laughs> I'm imagining it, and it is the greatest movie ever. Right? Oscar bait. Talk about Oscar bait. That is Oscar bait. You have to do something really indie, like really, like sort of, I'm Grimey. not there. You, know, you, oh. you have like, you have Forrest Whitaker play Andy Murray. You have um, Chloe Moretz play Djokovic. Mm -hmm. You just get, you just have really, really just interesting casting. Yeah, Jennifer Lawrence as Rafa. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, thank you. Who else? Um, I would say. Like the hmm. Budweiser dog is better. Let's say Andy Samberg could play Judy. Totally. Um, like, go artsy. Really? Just go surreal, super surreal and artsy, have Richard Linklater direct it so that it's kind of grounded in dialogue, and that's kind of weird as well, because he's not really a talkative guy. Speaking of Britain and arts 
regarding Andy Murray winning Wimbledon. We didn't listen to it, I don't think, but what do you make of the title of the BBC presentation, The Day We Won Wimbledon? Oh, I listened to it, Ben. Oh, how was it? It was fine. I mean, it... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was, like, basically, like, interviews with, like, the most ridiculous aspect of it. Okay, because there was a lot of interviews with fans. So people who were at home or in the queue or out on Henman Hill or watching, like fans, okay. about what it was like for them. And that's the we aspect. That's the I we guess. aspect. Yeah, okay. The other we aspect of it was in the beginning of the docu- of, of the whole thing. This is a documentary, uh, not documentary, but it's a radio documentary program, program on uh, BBC Five Live. I don't know. I don't know if that's a, a channel. I'm throwing BBC that Sports there. Radio. Okay. Um, called the day we won Wimbledon. And but in the beginning of it, they interview all the commentators who were in the commentator booth, like the British commentators, including Becker. No, Bre- no Becker. No, the oh. Brits. Okay. And like they were like, I was so nervous, and, and I'm like, I don't think that people care that you were nervous. Like, <laughs> like I don't. You know, it's it's like it's if, true. I don't. Nobody comes to me like, how did you feel when Serena won? I'm like. Well, that's what we were Does saying. Does it matter? Courtney, do you remember the day that we won the Australian Open men's doubles title last year? And then we won the French Open men's doubles title and women's singles as well. And then we won Wimbledon men's doubles. And then we won U.S. Open singles and women's. Remember all those days? I remember that because I remember putting my baby inside the trophy at the Australian Open. That was a really good day for my baby. That was us. That was us. That was a we achievement. That was a thing. Those are things we did. And I think the Bryans would be like, yeah, that was all of you guys. Yeah. Really? I think so. I think it's a little ridiculous. And I think that it's just, I mean, it does. But one of the things that was very funny about it all is that it just really put into like just light, bright spotlight on kind of the ridiculous situation Andy Murray had been thrust into, that this was the country's reaction. is like, we won! And he's like, dude, what the hell are you talking about? You guys hate me. And then <laughs> I go and win, and then you like like share in my victory. That's a bit there ridiculous. There are such fair-weather fans of his. No, I don't know. Say. I mean, I think that there are a lot of... Well, we've had this discussion about the whole Andy Murray fans thing. You think they don't exist outside Britain? That's right. Yeah, we disagree with that then. Yeah. As do readers. we got listeners who are like, no, I'm an Andy Murray fan. I know. I mean, they do exist, as okay. I know that they do, because... Yeah. Yeah. But, like... Law of averages. Yeah, yeah. but it, I just don't think that it's... Compared to all the other top four, and you look at their fandom outside of their home countries, I think Andy Murray would probably come in last of them. That's fair. I think he has a lot of respect in the U.S. especially. Yeah. You know. No, people respect him and like him, in, but I don't think that he really engenders, like, a passion. A fan kind of way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, totally. Oh, well. Segway. Sorry, Andy. So, Courtney, each of the four slams has its own sort of character to it, its own sort of culture, its own rhythms, its own sound. What does Australia mean to you as in the Australian Open? This is a bit of a loaded question because Ben and I have been talking about this generally within, over the course of the last couple of days, like 48 hours probably, about Australia. But one of the things is just how earnest the Australian Open is yeah. and how literal and non-subtle it is. And I think that in a lot of ways that reflects... I don't know about broader Aussie culture, but at least within Melbourne, walking around Melbourne and being here for a few years, it kind of reflects that. There's just a genuine, like, they're like, look at our, there's no irony. No, there's no irony. Everything's very literal. No one goes to, like, the Aussie Open to be ironic or, like, you know what I mean? Or, like, oh, I guess I'll go. Like, you know, like, kind of like, ugh. You know, it, it's like, which you do get a little bit at Wimbledon sometimes. And I do see that at the U.S. Open. Like, kind of like, people are there and they, like, bitch and moan. People and it's, don't it's, really and it's do also that not, Aussie. But it also, to their credit, it's also not the thing you get at Wimbledon, French Open, U.S. Open. People are there to see and be seen. Right. You don't really get that in Australian Open. People are there to watch tennis. People yeah. like tennis. They say, you know, tennis is great. Let's go mm-hmm. watch some tennis. I'll go like to go see the tennis. This tennis here? Yeah, this tennis here. The tennis. The tennis. The tennis. Sorry. The tennis. Yeah, no, but people people here enjoy the tennis, and just everything is pretty direct and yep. earnest. And their slogan, by the way, is awful this year. I don't know how much of it's going to be visible for those of you watching at home, but they have these signs everywhere that said that say, get court up. So stupid. <laughs> so stupid. I've only been around the tournament two days, and I'm already so sick of that. Because every time I look at it, I'm like, what does that even mean? And then I have to stop and be like, oh, you mean the way that you guys say caught. Sounds like court, but like kinda not really. They don't even say it that way. Court, court, court. Court. No, they don't pronounce the R. Yeah, well, 
caught. It doesn't really work. <laughs> and even still, it's just like really bad punmanship. Yes, it's bad punmanship, that is for sure. The it's... best the best punners are in Britain. And that's probably right. You know, so... Leave it to the motherland Aussies. Yeah, that's not really the strong suit. Like, but, there, you know, but at the same time, there's a playfulness about it all, which does, you know, kind of feed into, like, slogans like that that I also feeds just, it to... I still just expect better from a slam. I mean, honestly, that's like a Kuyong grade slogan. Fair enough. Do better. Do better slam. It could be. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, I think they're trying to be fun. They're trying to be different. Yeah. But, uh, but no, I mean, I like, I like the Aussie. I like Melbourne. No, yeah. So it's, 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 hard it's it'll be a fun about. one. And, We're especially um, high on it right now because we just ate a whole lot of dumplings and watched a bunch of street musicians for a while. They, and were, so half, they were really good. They were so good. They were like the best buskers I've seen in a really long time. This one time I was in Berlin and there were these, there was this one woman who was an amazing busker under a bridge. And like, she's <laughs> like, we were walking and we're like, oh, is that Adele? And we walked over and she was like just busting Adele and it was amazing. And I gave her all my money. And then this time, like, yeah, I made Ben stand there. I didn't force him because they were so good. So it wasn't, I was happy too. Yeah. But they were like covering like Radiohead and Oasis and lots of Coldplay. They were into Coldplay more than I am. I'm a Coldplay fan. I like Coldplay. I don't care. Okay. I like Coldplay. Could do worse. I think so. Yeah. People be a Paramore fan. Yeah. Sorry, Paramore fans. Sorry. No disrespect, Ben Affleck. (laughs) That brings me to another, thanks for mentioning that. I want to tell the story from... Actually, I'm not even sure. I, 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 was, I didn't make a, as big a deal on Twitter as I could have. But it was really kind of sad in Auckland because, and, and, uh, in Brisbane because I asked Roger Federer about... Because I hadn't seen him since he started making all these Kanye West references on Twitter. And he follows Kanye on Twitter now, too. And he made this one ridiculously in-joke reference to a Twitter feud that happened between Kanye West and Jimmy Kimmel. For those of you who don't know, Jimmy Kimmel is an American talk show host. At one point, Kanye used the hashtag, no disrespect to Ben Affleck, then another hashtag, all disrespect to Jimmy Kimmel. And Roger Federer put a tweet with a photo, and hash- it was about saying, don't I look like Batman, and said, hashtag, no disrespect to Ben Affleck, which was a Kanye tw- tweet. And my mind just sort of exploded at this, that Roger Federer would be quoting Kanye West. And so I asked him about like that, or if he was a Kanye fan, or I forget exactly how I phrased it. And he... Figured out what I was talking about eventually, but it took him long enough that now I'm not sure it was his original idea. And that's okay, because if he has hired a social person and the social person is coming up with that, he hired good people. Exactly. That's, that's okay. All. I, don't, I don't care if you outsource it to a friend or to a PR person or someone that Tony Gottsick hired or whatever, as long as they do it well. And they're not just congratulating random people and doing random things. So Ben. In Spanish and then English. In, based on your opinion, yeah, do you think that it's Roger doing the Ascaref? I think he's at least has some hand in that because those are personal answers of his. I, I don't think someone would ever completely delegate uh, questions about myself in my personal life. I think maybe he's next to a keyboard and the person helps him come up with hashtags or something. I don't know, but it could also be him. But just that one thing was so was such a reach for him, the Kanye thing. It, was it made really, no sense. It I was remember an over-swing. asking you about it, like, what is this? How would Kanye? How would Roger, a married father of two, who's on a business trip in Shanghai, to use regular parlance, keep up with a Kanye West, Jimmy Kimmel feud in his country that is not his own, why would he care? But even aside from the no disrespect to Ben Affleck, hashtag Jimmy Kimmel, Kanye feud, I remember when that tweet came out and I was just really surprised that he was even aware that, that Ben Affleck had been cast as Batman. Right. No, there are a lot like, of things in it. I that... was like, I was in Shanghai and I didn't, I barely was keeping up with that news, which I only kept up with because of, I was following, I was on Twitter and people were tweeting about it. But it's not like I read it like a news item. So yeah. I was just like, how are you, how do you know about this? Like, and I, you know, so, and he's definitely made some pretty savvy in like pop culture in jokes. In, during his Ask RF stuff, where I'm like, huh, okay. I've also I heard secondhand that people think that Burditch might not be doing his either. Yeah, that's possible. Because he has, like, which makes sense for Burditch a little bit because he has, like, so much uh, graphics on it and stuff. Yeah. And there's, like, his, a lot of his tweets have, like, effort to them. Mm-hmm. And, like I said, again, that's okay. If you're going to outsource it a little bit, I'd rather not know that you are, but if I do know, I at least want to know that you're getting. Your entertainment is entertainment. Yeah. Whether or not I'm watching a reality television show or a scripted television show, if it's entertaining, it's entertaining. I don't really care one way or the other if I'm entertained for 30 minutes. So, yeah, if they're going to outsource it, I don't care. But at least, like, it's better than the corporate accounts. Speaking of scripted reality shows... Oh, no. I haven't mentioned this to you yet, but on my cab here 
to our place we're staying in Melbourne, which is lovely, by mm -hmm. the way. The cab driver was talking to me about all these American TV shows he watches, and one of them was the Repo Show. The Repo that Show. That we watched in Charleston. So good. With the lady with the eyebrows. So amazing. I got really excited when he said that. And he also wanted to know if, since I covered sports, if I also covered World's Strongest Man. <laughs> because he's really into World's is he, Strongest is he Man. Real, is he really big Magnus... Norman Normanson? Magnus Norman is actually a tennis player. No, I know Magnus Norman. No, but Magnus Magnuson. That might be it. Yeah, Magnus Magnuson. He's freaking hoss because ESPN always used to show late at night when I was in law school. Oh, yeah. All that stuff. Watch, Magnus you, who doesn't watch insane. people pull tractor trailers? It's incredible. Flip. Uh, so know. long as they're built like that, you don't worry about them like losing arms, like yeah. Kill Bill style. But Ooh. like, yeah, yeah they're, it's entertaining. I'd rather watch that than poker. Yeah, I would agree with that. You know what ESPN doesn't show anymore that they need to? Those um, outdoor man games. Oh, yeah. With the chainsaws. My friends used to call them the great outdoor redneck games. Yeah. They're so good. Those were like okay. Like the one with the, where they have to like climb the pole. And then keep chopping at every yeah, level. Yeah, keep chopping. That was pretty good. You yeah, know what else true. we were talking about earlier tonight that they don't show anymore? It's women's pool. This is true. We Ben and I, over spicy pork dumplings, had a really intense bonding moment over the fact that like I knew who Jeanette Lee was. And we knew who Karen Kaur was. Yeah. Karen Kaur was my girl with her big half her face size glasses <laughs> and her helmet haircut. She was the best. I'm pretty sure she's in the Hall of Fame as a pool player. If there is one. I'm sure there is. But Everything I was all insulted because Ben was like, do you know who Jeanette Lee is? And I was like, dude, I know who every Asian athlete in the world, any Asian who has ever... No, I'm just... I'm over I'm, I'm, I'm making a face at athlete when she said athlete. Oh, I'm sorry. Or pool player. <laughs> Games player. <laughs> Games men or women. Bar game. Dat Nguyen. Totally know him. Who, who's that? Do you not even know Dat Nguyen? That sounds a little familiar. Is that a poker oh, player? dare you. No. no. He was a linebacker for the Dallas Cowboys. Oh, I'm First Vietnamese. Completely unaware of him. Yeah. How Sorry. dare you. I don't have his last name. How dare you. It's like you and Ben Roethlisberger. Okay. On that front, <laughs> we're a little off topic here, but I get so many tweets, even still, even during the offseason... People who think that I'm Ben Roethlisberger, or who rate, who don't look very carefully on Twitter, they go to search, start typing in Ben Roth, they leave out the first E, my name shows up, and they're like, oh, that's him, that redhead kid, that's totally Ben Roethlisberger, who, which used to be a totally fine name <laughs> association for a while. <laughs> and that's all I'll say about that. It took a turn south very sharply at one point. <laughs> But I think it doesn't really happen to me much in real life. I did have one thing where I was not just to go finish the story because why not? It's the first week of the year. We got to get we got, stuff we, out we of feel our like chamber. We haven't talked to you guys for so long, I know. and we haven't talked to each other for a really long time either. So I we're know. trying to catch trying up. To catch up. I used to do some tutoring at the school in a um, not as nice neighborhood in DC, and the security guard you have to give your ID every day, and he legitimately thought I was Ben Roethlisberger. Pittsburgh Steelers quarterback who was like quietly trying to do some good in the hood in a city like 400 miles from Pittsburgh on three week three weekdays a week or whatever it was I was working there yeah that was interesting yeah so I could pass as a two-time winning Super Bowl quarterback according to some people which is weird in terms of what they think of as the physique of a two-time Super Bowl winning quarterback no offense no offense Ben Affleck <laughs> no offense Ben Affleck <laughs> Is what you need. Not be because you're not tall. I'm not very tall. Yeah. That's right. You're a hockey goalie. I am. Well, not different. the hockey goalies are short. I mean, they're normally okay. They're normal, but like, you know, it's a different, it's a different, it's a different yeah. build. I played hockey over the break. Did you? I was reminded how much better I was at hockey than tennis. Much better at hockey than I was at tennis by leaps and bounds. I should hope so. Thank As you. As one who's seen you play tennis. I know, I know. A bit brutal. I was I was never good in, in tennis. I was, at best, like, number four singles in high school. Ben makes Monica Nicolescu look like Svetlana Prankova. No, 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 no. I make Monica Nicolescu look like Serena Williams in terms of power. I mean, there's just not a whole lot no, going you, on there. No, you, you both have junky games. Mm -hmm. You just make it look really horrible. <laughs> <laughs> I basically look like an indifferent Bernard Tomic, which, saying what Bernard Tomic, like, old Bernard Tomic was just sort of pushing the ball back across it like so it falls short basically I'll make people run and then I'll miss and that's kind of my strategy it doesn't work out so great so you're Petra no 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 no, no. <laughs> I'm more I'm trying to even think who I am I'm more like a uh I'm not a professional player there's no <laughs> there's what, no professional player to whom I could get compared fairly that's fair anyway that's fair so we'll leave it with 
we'll leave it at that for you for this episode. We just wanted to get one in to start the year, get some things off our back burners because they've been burnt to a crisp for a while now. So thanks for your patience during our holidays absence. We needed, to be quite frank, we needed a break too. There yeah. came a point where... We did a lot of shows last year. We did. And coming up with shows, even though you guys were awesome with the questions, we got to a lot of questions. We got to most of the ones, at least, that didn't overlap too much, we think. Yeah, it's hard coming up with shows during the off-season when nothing is happening. Right. You kind of feel like you're just kind of talking to talk. We don't want to. Yeah, we don't want to make noise. Like, we just want to... If we have something to say, we say it. And if not, we'll we'll keep our trap shut. But anyway, we're going to come up with another show um, before Main Draw gets underway. It's very easy for us to come up with shows when we're on the same continent as we were not earlier in the week and when we were in the same city and same room, it's all the easier. So look for a show after the draw comes out sometime. We'll be excited to do that and break it down and see who's got good draws, who our dark horses is, who our favorites are, who's early upset victim. It's all very hard to do that when people ask you to do that before the draw comes out because yeah. that's just not how it works. And we were talking about it a little today in some other context, I think with Tom Tebbett, who's a fun guy to have love the tom press. tom is great tom, tom is, is fantastic tom is the it's the preeminent canadian tennis writer in my mind mm-hmm. and and we were just talking about how i think the draw luck is really the only luck in tennis that matters you can talk about neck cords and whatnot and shanks and miss hits and stuff and that's all really small potatoes and really evens out but draw luck can get you everything or nothing in a tournament well, if you're someone like venus let's say and you draw serena first round you're gonna lose first round if you're someone like Venus and you get a number 23 seed and then four unseeded players, you can make quarters and turn your year around. Yeah. Or semis. Really I nice. mean, it, we were talking about it in the context of two, Canadi- uh, two Canadian women who were in qualies today. Alexandra Wozniak drew on a Tatashvili. Tough. 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 You know, I was shocked that Tatashvili was even in qualies. I, I didn't realize she I thought she'd, uh, she'd made the cutoff. Um, and then was The it? other one was Sharon Fishman, who yeah. drew Belinda Bencic, who's the reigning junior Wimbledon and junior French Open champion. And, that's, right. and and Sharon Fishman was the top seed in qualities. She yeah. just missed the cutoff. And I think that it's tough mentally always when you're top seed in qualities, especially when you are or you have recently been a top 100 player because you feel you like... You feel like you have something to lose. And you like up until the day quality starts, you're waiting for anybody to pull out. And then you're suddenly in main draw. You suddenly have like a guaranteed more $28,000 in prize money or whatever it is. And so having to go out there and play anytime as top seed in qualities. Dustin Brown did the same thing. Dustin Brown lost first round in qualities as top seed as well. And he's also somebody who probably didn't think he necessarily belonged in qualities, even though he's, you know, right. a bit of a journeyman type guy. Yeah, but going back to yeah. the, 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 the luck draw of the draw, is all that I matters, mean, yeah. Stephanie Dubois, who was the other Canadian player, she drew Napuan Lerchiwakarin. Napuan Lerchiwakarin. Okay, but I mean, you look at those three players, and it's like one of them, I mean, two tough draws, one really, really easy one. Yeah. Stephanie Dubois won yeah. and advanced. So, and plus for me, I really do believe in matchups. I think matchups are a really important aspect of tennis in terms of determining winners and losers. So, it just doesn't make sense to even talk about prospects and favorites and underdogs and you know black horses dark horses whatever until you know the draw comes out so that's what we will do because we are going to try and be responsible writers and journalists is there anything before we if i have a moment of irresponsibility Mm -hmm. any dream matchups you'd like to see draw happens in about 12 hours from now what do you want hewitt federer first round that'd be fun why the hell not? Let's get that match. Let's, Let's do, do it. Because it. So it would make Hewitt so mad, too. Yeah, it would be pretty good. I would kind of love to see Tomic Djokovic. It'd be cool. I don't I don't want to see it happen first round, though. I want Tomic... Yeah, because you want some Tomic love. Tomic is fun to have around the Australian Open. I want him to last a while. I'd have no problem with Tomic Mania. Fair enough. And um, and seeing, you know, all the stories about his dad or whatever that come out. Um, because his dad was actually interviewed during the broadcast of Sydney Day, which was just awkward for all involved. Here's my thing about the whole John Tomic situation and him being led into tournaments by tournament directors. Who, so if, in case you don't know, at the Sydney, obviously John Tomic is under an ATP ban for credentials. That doesn't necessarily mean that he can't buy a ticket and enter the grounds as a paying customer, but a tournament director generally would probably have to approve that. In other words, he can't be buying a ticket and like sneaking in. So the tournament director in Sydney allowed it to happen. And maybe this is like the litigator in me, like who's always seeing things in terms of liability. But how can you like go and basically rubber stamp this person to be on the grounds who you know, who has been adjudicated to be a violent person. In tennis context. In tennis context. Yeah. You, if he does something, if. Yeah, you could And totally maybe he might promise you, like, whatever. But if he does something, 
that's on you, dude. Like, why would you risk that ever? I yeah. don't understand that. And that's my thing. It's like, like, I get the whole, like, oh, he won't do anything. Like, whatever kind of, like, oh. And I'm wanting to maintain a good relationship with Tomic and all these sorts of things. But come on, man. Like, they're, I mean, I don't know what the. It's gutless. It's, you know, it's weak. I don't, don't like it. Don't they did it at Queens. I thought that was dumb when they did it at Queens. At Queens, the thing had just happened. But yeah, that was, now they shouldn't, they had it six months. But they, def- I mean, they just happened, but they like let it, you know. No, like, I know. They totally let it happen. Yeah. I totally agree. So, Sarah Tomic played today, though. She did. She took seven games off um, Tamir Pashek, which is not a bad effort for Sarah yeah. Tomic. Tamir Pashek not playing so hot these days. There's quite a few players, actually, in the draw, um, in the qualities draw who were seeds at last year's Australian Open. Uh, Tavir Pashik is one of them. Martin Klezan is one of them. I think a couple more, but it's, it's remarkable. There are definitely some names fall. that were surprising. Like, Sophia Arvidsson was in qualities, which yeah. really kind of blew me away. I just always consider her a top 60 player. Thomas Bellucci. Bellucci, qualified. that was a bit of a, that was a total He won, shocker. he had a really good match today. He won uh, 10-8 in the third. Yeah, so there, there are some surprising names, but uh, but yeah. And it's just tough. I mean, being I, I always like getting to qualities early and being around the grounds for that and seeing the sort of desperation, the buzz of it, and seeing, you know, people get through and have their, you know, get survive this really gauntlet type thing, and then hearing, seeing people knock it through also, and a bit of, which is, I realize, a bit schadenfreudistic or sadistic or whatever, not entirely, but you see someone who has their whole off-season, they're really optimistic beginning of the year, they fly to Australia full of hope, and then they lose. Six three six one, and it really sets back their whole year. There's a lot of a lot tears. Of I mean, even oh, just is. walking in, like people, you know, there's, people are shell shocked. Yeah, people are shell shocked. They're kind of sitting outside. They're in tears, being consoled by coaches and things like that, and or by themselves. A lot of people don't have coaches. Yeah, here. so and it's it you know, rough. it's tough. Definitely tough. Be rough. On that note, I guess we can do a preview because we can line it up. Speaking of lives and the sojourns to that level of tour, next episode we'll have an interview that I did uh, for a story in the New York Times that came out today. Uh, so if you want to read it in advance and get prepped for the next episode, feel free. But James McGee of Ireland, while I was doing I didn't plan on having him be for the podcast, but while I was doing it, I just found him thoroughly entertaining and uh, thought he was a good storyteller and good NCR material. So we'll slap that together and you can enjoy him. And for the meantime, so get excited for that. And thanks for hopefully enjoying us this episode. We will talk to you again soon. Later, guys. Good night, mate. That means hello. Whatever. Aloha. Aloha. Let's leave it at that. Yeah. Good. The rivers when they run The spirit of this great land I am Australian We are one But we are